everyone, and welcome to episode 158 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and I'm joined again today by the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How's it going today, Richard? It's going well. How are you doing, Seth? Uh, recovering from a, a long Pro Tour weekend, followed by a crazy Super Bowl. So it was a long weekend, but it was a good weekend. Uh, so today I think our main topic is going to be Pro Tour. Pro Tour Rivals of Ixalan. And then we'll also mention uh, some spoilers. We got a little bit of 25th Anniversary Masters news. And then keep up on all the fish mail. Tons of fish mail to get to later. So, Richard, I know the time zone for you was especially brutal. The Pro Tour started like midnight or something. Did you manage to watch some of it at least? Old age has caught up to me, Seth. Usually <laughs> I watch the whole thing live, but since it was modern and we weren't doing coverage, uh, you know, I didn't actually need to stay up, but I tried. But I think two rounds into limited, 2 a.m. Pacific time, I just kept falling asleep. I would wake up and like <laughs> some card would be played and I would fall asleep and I would wake up and I'm like, okay, I give up. I'm just going to bed. So I actually just watched VODs in the morning for day one and day two. And day three, since I was so hyped for it, I actually watched it live and made it through the night. And then took a little nap and then watched the Super Bowl. Uh, yeah, I got to watch most of it live. I was a little bit luckier, because Limited, I don't know, I don't care that much about Limited anyway, so it started at, like, 3 a.m. my time, so I would just, like, set my alarm for, like, 5 a.m. and skip the first round and a half of Limited, and then get up and watch the end of Limited and Constructed, so that wasn't too bad, like, a little earlier than I normally get up, but it was worth it, because the Pro Tour was, I thought at least, was really amazing, so I know heading into it, there was... Some complaining from pros about modern and some questions from the community. Like, do we want modern to be a pro tour format? Is this going to be a good thing, a bad thing? So what's your reaction now that we made it through the weekend? Was this a good choice to return to modern for the pro tour? I think it was one of the greatest weekends of magic viewing. Every match was entertaining. It really felt like maybe a year ago, maybe two years ago when we had legacy on Sundays from SCG. Every round, you would see some weird deck, and you're like, I didn't even play these cards when they were in Limited. Like, what is going on? Feels like every deck can win. And just every round, you saw cool plays and cool decks and cool interactions. So in terms of viewing Magic gameplay, I thought it was one of the best tournaments ever. Like, the decks were so good. The top eight was sweet. Uh, Reed Duke played Tarmogoyce for me. So it was all good. <laughs> The one downside was, uh, because I skipped most of Limited, I literally did not see a single Rivals of Ixalan card the entire <laughs> weekend. Our prediction failed, or at least my prediction failed, did not even see one sideboard card. <laughs> so in terms of promoting Rivals of Ixalan, it was a big flop. But in terms of engaging magic gameplay, it was a huge success. Yeah, I think you're you're definitely right. I think I saw a Dire Fleet Daredevil out of the sideboard at one point on a backup feature match, but basically, apart from Limited, there was just no Rivals of Ixalan at Pro Tour Rivals of Ixalan, but it was oh, just, it was so good. It's so entertaining. Modern is just the perfect format as far as a viewer is concerned it's just the best magic you can have as far as the audience there were so many different decks i went through and we'll break down the metagame and winning decks in a minute but i think there was 30 different decks that posted a winning record by my count which is that's absurd like compared to what we have been used to with standard where we've had one deck be like 50 percent of the pro tour meta and then like a couple other decks that kind of show up maybe we see one different deck in the first few rounds and then we we see the new perspectives in round four or whatever, and then we see Robin on Red versus Teamer Energy for the rest of the day. It was just so amazing to see all these decks, high-level magic. You see even the plays in Modern. You just see things. The style of magic is different. You see things that don't happen in other formats. We saw people getting locked out of the game. We saw huge counter wars in an amazing control mirror to kick off the very first day. It was just all around. I loved it. It was great. I hope that this experience and 
the fact that it was good for viewers, and it was good by the viewership numbers, like we had 46,000 people watching the top eight, which is, I believe, the most, at least as far as the sites that keep track of this stuff, which only go back like a year because it's relatively new, but it's the most that I've seen for a Pro Tour coverage, so it feels like it was a success by the metric, so I hope that we keep getting modern Pro Tours at least once in a while because it was it was great. It was just so awesome. So, as far as the metagame and the decks, Richard, what stuck out to you uh, in terms of the actual decks that showed up and performed well? There were a lot of, quotes, new decks. If you compare this to the last major modern event, even uh, disregarding the bandings, you know, you had humans come out of nowhere, a deck that just came up out of the past couple of months. You had Hollow One decks. Seth, you played it on Budget Magic. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is no longer Budget. <laughs> uh, you know, even even Jerry Thompson with Pyromancer, uh, a deck that ma- has seen some play on Magic Online, but hasn't really been that popular. So it, it was just like really fresh for some reason this time around. In addition to kind of the, the wide metagame we already had, you know, Death Shadow, Tron, Valakit, Scapeshift, you know, all those kinds of decks are still there. Plus, we had this kind of infusion of new decks. So I felt it was just really interesting. And I don't know if it we were just lucky, like Amonkhet gave us some tools, uh, Kaladesh gave us some tools for Lantern, you know, that kind of just brought these decks to the forefront. Uh, maybe if we had this a year ago, it wouldn't have been so entertaining, I'm not sure. But we just saw so many decks... The thing that really stood out to me this weekend was humans. Uh, We expected a lot of unfair decks, but apparently humans just just takes them all out. Like humans is kind of the fair game answer to to combo decks because they're so disruptive. When you have meddling mage, uh, phantasmal images, sin collectors, on top of a really fast clock, uh, it really puts these unfair decks uh, to the test, and it kind of swings things back in the fair game. Uh, it doesn't help my beloved mid-range strategy, but it gives aggro players, you know, actual tools against these combo decks. Yeah, I think that that's a, definitely one of the big stories. Not just that humans performed pretty well, and one of the weird thing is I did the by the numbers article on the metagame, and there's a lot of decks that were decent. There wasn't really too many decks that were insanely good. Like nothing like Eldrazi winter, even some of the standard tournaments where there's clearly one deck that you're like, wow, that is way better than everything else. There's a lot of decks that did pretty good, including humans. But the fact that it was the most played deck was pretty surprising to me. I did not really see that coming, but I think you made a really good point. It is the answer to some of the unfair decks. And I think it's the reason that decks like storm had a pretty bad weekend when you're getting hit, by meddling mage in game one and kite seal freebooters and all this stuff backed up by a clock that's fast enough that you don't get 10 turns of drawing cards to find your couple of answers you have to these pieces it does a really good job of punishing the unfair decks and even just looking at the top eight it's oddly fair i mean at least by modern standards humans is pretty fair abzan is the epitome of fair the traverse builds of death shadow were kind of the fairer builds where you're playing tarmogoyfs and so forth the pyromancer deck is a thought seize lingering souls relatively fair deck so there was a lot of fair decks that did really well and the unfair decks actually had the worst end of it this weekend which definitely caught me by surprise and i think it made for really entertaining matches like the matches jerry tom played with his Mardu Pyromancer deck, the Reed Duke matches, even a lot of the human matches, they weren't just people gold fishing into kills on turn three, which I think probably would have been at least worse for coverage. It's I think it's more entertaining when you see these long, drawn-out, intricate matches, and we had a lot of them throughout the tournament. Was it, though, goblin lore into, <laughs> into double hollow one, you know... <sighs> We were literally playing Hearthstone, you know, we had RNG, there was shuffling, <laughs> a big game hunter made an appearance. <laughs> I think the Hollowed One deck was actually pretty interesting for kind of the unfair combo decks that everyone hates, right? It's like a deck that can kill you on turn three, there's a lot of variance in it, um, and it it kind of messes with your hand on top of that just to slap you in the face. <laughs> but it's so entertaining to just throw out all these Hollow Ones. That, that deck was just crazy, and the commentators were just in love with it, kind of just adding to all the hype around it as well. Uh, that deck's really fun. I mean, I was kind of surprised it showed up because it's 
kind of the exact opposite of what you think of in as far as decks that pros play, which are usually decks that are low on variants where they can try to leverage their play skill. And instead, it was really cool to see some of the best Japanese players just show up with this extremely high variance deck. Sometimes you burning inquiry on turn one and discard your second land or discard your hollow ones and your deck looks horrible. Sometimes you have like two or three hollow ones on turn one. So it was really cool to see the deck show up and perform pretty well. So that was definitely one of the highlights for me, uh, was seeing Hollow One do so well. We gotta probably talk about the elephant in the room, too. So, the winner of Proto Rivals of Ixalan was everyone's favorite Lantern Control, which, in defense of Lantern Control, before we kind of break this down, it was only played by, I think, nine players, so it wasn't like... The breakout archetype in the sense that Humanwoods was, but still, it deserves to be talked about since it did take down the entire tournament. So, what do you make of Lantern Control winning this Pro Tour, Richard? I think it's a really cool deck. I, I don't know why people hate it so much. <laughs> like, if you read Twitch chat, some people are just, like, furious at the deck. But <laughs> when you look at it, it's so cool. It's a bunch of janky cards put together masterfully into this this like lock that you cannot break out of so in like the deck itself is so cool and i i just love it and you know i especially enjoyed jerry thompson saying uh, i want the viewers to know i kind of win from the state and he scoops <laughs> so you know you don't actually have to sit and watch you know a, a 20 turn mill kill or something but it's a really cool deck the question is is it too strong and i believe when they interviewed one of the players they said that, you know, they, they didn't pick up Lantern because they were for sure 100% thought it was going to get banned because it was just way too good. And then when they found out it wasn't banned, they're like, huh. So they went to go play it. And <laughs> when you look at the deck, it seems too good. Uh, in, in a world where, you know, Ponder and Preordain are too strong, you have a one mana dig five card in Ancient Stirrings. And you have a three-mana tutor your library in uh, Word of Invention. The deck is just so consistent at bringing out the most broken card in Modern and Ensnaring Bridge, plus its lock pieces. It, it seems strong if you know how to play the deck. And I think that's the big problem. The deck is so hard to play. It is so difficult to play quickly to not time out that not everyone can pick it up. But for the people that can... Is the deck too strong? It certainly looks like it. Like, how do you beat this deck? Start main decking Shatterstorms? Like, <laughs> even packing, like, three or four Coligan's com commands, like, may not get you there. So, like, what do you do to beat this deck, right? I think, I actually really like Lantern as well, but I love prison strategies, so it's kind of right up my alley anyway. It's it's like this weird, it, it's similar to Free Win Red. It's very different in that it's not trying to kill people quickly, but the theory of the deck is the same, where you're just trying to cut off all your opponent's outs and then make it so, basically your opponent can't win, and then you win by your opponent not being able to win. So it does a lot of the same... Uh, things like in theory as a free win red deck is trying to do i think that it's actually pretty beatable i think that there's ways you can beat it i i understand the hate for the deck because it definitely is super annoying and i tend to be a quick scooper so it doesn't annoy me that much once my percentage i calculate it down to like five percent or four percent i usually just scoop which is what we saw from some of the pros like i think maybe they were down to even less than that but you can always just scoop it up you don't have to sit there and make them mill you out when you know there's no way you're gonna win um, I don't think it's too good, though. I think there's ways people can fight against it without even going the Shatterstorm route. Like, Tireless Tracker is a card that's really good against it. They have a hard time getting it off the battlefield. And then one of the easiest ways to beat Lantern is just to be able to draw cards at instant speed. So you can kind of overwhelm their library lock pieces where they can't really control what you're drawing. Also, I've been having a ton of success playing like unburial rights type strategies, things that give you value from the graveyard. We kind of saw that with the Hollow One deck, having faithless lootings that get milled into your graveyard. And yes, they do have Graftigger's Cage to try to cut that lock off, but if you can deal with the Graftigger's Cage and take advantage of the cards they're milling. So I feel like I hope that they give the meta a chance to adjust to Lantern winning the Pro Tour. I feel like it would be 
a bit too knee-jerky for them to ban any cards right now. I feel like we gotta wait. Give it another few months. There's gonna be this split Pro Tour coming up with the core sets this summer, so if you feel like it's still too good leading into that Pro Tour, maybe you make a change so it's not on camera again, if that's a concern. But I feel like the deck is beatable, and Modern is a big format with tons of cards. I think most decks are beatable if you give people time to adjust to it. So what's your thinking on the banning issue, Richard? That's That was kind of one of the big topics coming out of the Pro Tour. Some people are very adamant about wanting Lantern banned, which I think is more because they dislike the deck than necessarily the power level of the deck, at least for some people. But what's your take on the banning conversation? So I think there there's three ways you can look at this. Uh, one... Is the deck, like, unbearably strong? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think so. Uh, it requires such a high-level play, and you don't think it's strong. So maybe on that front, uh, there's no banning argument. Uh, another argument you can look at is the birthing pod argument. Does it restrict design forever? <laughs> right? You cannot print <laughs> any strong artifacts for fear of making this deck stronger. Uh, I could see that happening. Like, the more cheap artifacts you print that are good, the better this deck becomes. Kind of like Birthing Pod or Green Sun Zenith, kind of those cards, and those have been banned from Modern. So if you take that approach, maybe. Uh, third approach, or third angle is, does it make matches tedious? If everyone's playing Lantern, does anyone want to watch this? Does it take, does it make kind of games go too long? And that's the Sensei Divining banning, Divining Top banning, right? Card itself is not that bad, but it's obnoxious to watch everyone, you know, ponder every turn and it just drags things on. If everyone's playing Lantern and every round goes to time and, you know, plus 15 minutes in time and top eights go like three hours over because it's untimed, uh, maybe they got to do something about it. So so in those terms, like kind of the non-gameplay areas, I could see an argument for banning. But in terms of gameplay, I think you're right. If Let's just watch people adjust. Uh, Modern is wide open. There's like a billion decks. Maybe someone comes up with something that, you know, just totally dismantles, dismantles Lantern and it's actually not a problem. Yeah, I think that the gameplay issue, that I think is the best argument, if you're going to make an argument for banning it, is... On the Pro Tour, we got to see really, really good players who have played a lot of Lantern, really know how the deck works, and it is a really hard deck to play optimally. So I don't think it was as much of an issue on the Pro Tour, where the Lantern pilots were really good at the deck, and they were playing against people that knew Lantern well enough to know when to scoop, like we saw with Jerry Thompson, where it was like turn four or something, and you scoop it up because you just know you can't win from that position. I'm a little more concerned if you have a 1500 player modern GP where you have people that are just kind of learning Lantern playing against people that maybe haven't played against Lantern enough to know when their percentage is you know 1% to win the game or 0.5% to win the game that those are the matches that I think are going to go really really long and maybe drag out the tournament so we'll have to see there is a natural safety valve that a decent amount of people just hate Lantern and aren't going to play Lantern, period, because they don't like the deck. And a decent amount of people aren't going to pick it up because it's really complicated. Almost like uh, it plays very differently, but similar to the Amulet Bloom decks that were so powerful, but were so incredibly hard to play well that if you just pick it up and try to play it, you're going to really struggle with it. So I think it'll be interesting to see. But give me your prediction, Richard. We have a BNR announcement a week from today, next Monday, are you expecting changes? No, no, no knee-jerk reaction. Uh, maybe a year from now, Lantern could be banned, but definitely not uh, a week from now. Uh, once you said all that stuff, I actually thought that Lantern is the miracles of modern. <laughs> it's basically a really strong deck. It takes obnoxiously long to actually play out and finish games, especially so if you're a new player. <laughs> Right? So, you know, dividing top versus, you know, lanterning your opponent. And uh, possibly the best deck in the format if you know what you're doing. So there's a lot of parallels to Miracles in Legacy. And as we all know, uh, Miracles got the axe. <laughs> so, so if this keeps up, maybe Lantern does get the axe. But definitely not in one week. I, I think that's way too soon. But maybe a year from now, if this, this still drags on and, you know tournaments are, are slowing down because of this maybe they actually do something just for the sake of, of keeping things going so moving on from lantern in specific still sticking with the bnr announcement 
seeing this event and the diversity and the metagame and all that stuff, uh, do you expect any changes, either bannings or unbannings, which we did a goat magic a few days ago, kind of exploring some of that. Do you think that this diverse meta and general positive reception outside of Lantern to the tournament is going to change Wizards' plans as far as unbanning anything? I don't think the Pro Tour changes anything. I think if they were planning to unban something, they still would. I'm still fine with the Bloodbraid unban. Uh, but, I mean, it, it would be fine if they did nothing as well. I think Modern is in a great place, so I don't know uh, if they would mess around with it. But I think anything's on the table. I, I don't think the Pro Tour results actually changes their plans at all. One of the other things that kind of came out of the Pro Tour was our first spoilers for... 25th anniversary masters and since we're on the topic of bannings i gotta ask you and i might just be going way too far down the conspiracy theory tinfoil hat thing but one of the cards revealed was jason mind sculptor wizards already mentioned like two months ago that they were looking at unbanning stuff during the february announcement which lines up with this release of 25th anniversary masters one of the big arguments against unbanning jays from people and players is the price would just spiral out of control and it would need to be reprinted right away am i am i reading too much into this richard or do all these pieces add up to a higher chance that wizards is actually thinking about unbanning jace next week uh i don't think so i think jace is one of their marquee cards and they reprint them whenever they need to sell stuff so i i don't think it signifies jace being unbanned I think if they were to unban Jace or something, they'd actually just put him in a Modern Masters or something like that to to kind of sell the set. But I, I don't think Jace would ever be unbanned, and I definitely don't think this is to add supply for a for an unbanning. Well, before we kind of move out of the Pro Tour discussion, you mentioned in the intro when we were first talking about the Pro Tour, upside is the event was awesome. Downside is we didn't really see Rivals of Ixalan outside of Limited. So... Does this event change your opinion on whether Modern should continue as a Pro Tour format? Like, should we have yearly Modern Pro Tours moving forward? Uh, What's your thoughts on that? I don't think there should be a Modern Pro Tour. I think there should be an event like the Pro Tour for Modern uh, once a year. Uh, So you would have your three Pro Tours plus this other event. So they've kind of used Worlds as this, but Worlds is a small tournament of like 16 pros or whatever. I want to see a actual large open field because what we had this weekend was great. It was great modern gameplay. You don't get that kind of gameplay at a Grand Prix. But we also saw no Rivals of Ixalan. In, in fact, I don't even want to play Rivals of Ixalan standard now. I'm all hyped from the modern pro tour. I want to go play some <laughs> modern and I'm not going to go buy booster packs of Rivals of Ixalan and, and whatever. So it, it actually did not help Rivals of Ixalan whatsoever. So I believe they should have a Pro Tour featuring Standard uh, for, for each uh, set release. And then they should have an additional tournament that's an open field for Modern, a fourth Pro Tour every year. Or the other thing they could do is, I guess, cut some of the Limited. So maybe four rounds Limited, four rounds Modern, eight rounds Standard, something like that. I, I, I don't know, but I, I believe they can't just push one out. They actually have to show both. Because I think Modern is a great seller for them, but Standard is is their bread and butter. It needs to be there. And I think Rivals of Ixalan will suffer because of this Modern Pro Tour. I would love to see, and I, I know some people are very against this, but I would love to see them have Pro Tours be more like the SCG Invitationals, where instead of Limited, you have split formats of Standard and Modern, or sometimes Standard and Legacy. I always thought those were really interesting and fun formats, so maybe that's an option. I don't think Wizards is really interested in dropping Limited, because I feel like they feel like that is a guaranteed way to showcase the new set, no matter what Standard looks like, no matter what Modern looks like, you know you're going to see Rivals of Ixalan during Limited. The other thing would be maybe... And I don't know how the finances would work on this, but what about just adding a Pro Tour? We have a Master Set at least once a year now. What if we had a Pro Tour for Modern attached to the Master Sets? Or even if you, I maybe you don't call it a Pro Tour, I don't know. But what if we had a big event like a Pro Tour that was the Modern Celebration attached to the releases of Master Sets every year? That That is a genius idea, Seth. <laughs> like, you know, Grand Prix, Grand Prix Vegas or whatever should be Pro Tour Vegas. And it should feature the the latest master set and be 
modern or legacy uh that that would be the nuts like can you imagine a legacy pro tour oh my god <laughs> like take what you saw with modern this weekend and you know multiply it by two and that would be legacy if, if you thought modern was diverse you know in modern when someone plays a standard card or limited card you're like whoa but in legacy <laughs> when someone plays a standard card or limited card you're like holy crap yeah so <laughs> So yeah, I, I think that's a great idea of tying another pro tour to the supplemental, you know, masters product would be would be awesome. Yeah. I think that that would maybe hit all the marks. It would make sure that they're still selling the current standard set, but also give people what they want at least once a year, which based on the viewership numbers and just the general chatter around this pro tour, it feels like it was a big success from the <laughs> From the esports perspective, at least by ma- Magic standards, I know we're not hitting uh, league numbers or anything like that, or Hearthstone numbers, but based on the low bar of Magic esports, I think this was a really good weekend for Magic as an esport. Uh, so, Seth, what were your favorite or memorable moments of the weekend? Well, this one, <laughs> and maybe not the best moment, but. Round 16 was one of the most absurd rounds I've ever seen of a Pro Tour because there were so many punts. We had the, the uh, Luis Savato, who went on to win the tournament, accidentally left both of his Graph Digger's cages in his main deck and got a game loss because of that. So they cut away from that match due to the judge call, only to walk in on some... Oh, I don't remember the second punt. Did you see that round? They they cut away and went right to someone else who punted. Was that the Minguchi didn't pay for... Uh... Uh, Kotaki's yeah. War Rage or whatever, and then I, yeah, and then and then they're like, oh, this is suspicious judge call, and then we switched back to the main ma- another match, and there was a third punt. Yeah. Oh, what was the third punt? <laughs> oh, I can't, I can't remember all of them now, but oh, it, it was oh. hilarious though, and everyone's like pro magic, and there were more <laughs> punts in that five minute span than the entire Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my favorite moment was Reed Duke masterclassing mid-range. I think it was around maybe 15 or 16. He was playing against humans and he's had his back against, uh, you know, like the wall, the entire bat in the entire fight. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, he just attacks with his Tarmogoyfs, uh, into a wall of humans when it looks like he's about to die. And I always find that to be the most impressive part of a good mid-range player. One to get aggressive uh, most players would be like, oh, they have too many creatures, I, I better hang back and block, and that's how you usually die, because you're not, you're not winning when you're doing that, but watching Reed Duke kind of just navigate uh, this complex board state filled with like a billion creatures, and actually win that game by attacking into scary humans was pretty crazy, so Reed Duke kind of doubled the enjoyment factor, he for some reason, brought Abzan <laughs> to the Pro Tour and fought the good fight, and we got to see Tarmogoyfs on the big stage, even though I was convinced we would not see Tarmogoyf at all. The, a couple other things that definitely deserve mention was the multiple hollow ones. I think yep. it was against Reduke in the top eight, where sometimes you just get lucky, and you've got your hollow ones on turn one. And definitely got to give a shout-out to Jerry Thompson. Watching him battle with his Mardu Pyromancer deck and... It feels like there were so many rounds throughout the tournament where he was, I think primarily against humans, would get down to like one life and look like he was in such bad shape. And then a combination of faithless lootings and lingering souls and collector brutalities would be enough that he would somehow stabilize and pull out the win. And it felt like every single match against humans, that was that was how it went. But he won them every single time. So it was really impressive to watch him play the Mardu Pyromancer deck too. I was very impressed with that. Yeah, and the and the sportsmanship, you know. <laughs> so ev- this is the downside of reading Twitch chat when when watching the Magic Pro Tour. Every time there's a game rule violation, people flip out. Every time <laughs> there's a judge call, uh, rules lawyering accusations get thrown all around. Uh, but Reed Duke was like, "Hold on, hold on. You said you would you were increasing by two, but you only increase your dice by one. So good guy, Reed Duke, fixing his opponent's uh, mistakes on camera in a feature match. So that was pretty cool. Or uh, kind of Luis Savato and his teammate after the punt. His teammate 
uh, congratulated him. Jerry Thompson, after being brutally crushed in the finals, you know, just let out a smile and congratulated his opponent. So just really good sportsmanship. Uh, and, you know, a good show for Magic all around this weekend, and especially in the top eight. Yeah, there was another good one with uh, Paul Rietzel as well, where he played a Vendillion click, and his opponent went to immediately reveal his hand, and he could have got the free information by the rules. It wouldn't have been cheating by any means, but he really quickly got him to stop and got him to uh, hold on because he was actually going to Vendillion click himself in that situation. So it was, like, just all around. It was a really feel-good weekend for Magic. We got good players. We had good sportsmanship, entertaining decks, just all around. It was it was one of my favorite Pro Tours Maybe my favorite Pro Tour, now that I'm actually thinking about it. It just might be my single favorite Pro Tour that I've ever watched. And I've been watching Pro Tours religiously for a long time now, so... Yeah, I, I think it's because it's of Modern. It, it was so cool watching a new deck. like every, And it wasn't like... You know, in Standard, when they show you a new deck, they're really stretching it. You know, like a Tier 3 deck or something where that managed to sneak in there and they have to feature it. In Modern, all the decks were really good, and even the Tier 3 and Tier 4 decks can beat the best decks in the format. Usually, a Tier 3 or Tier 4 deck in Modern is there because it you know, it has bad matchups against the other popular decks, but it also has good matchups. Whereas in Standard, when you get to Tier 3 and Tier 4, it's you pretty much have no good matchups and you're just playing a weird deck. So... The, the depth of Modern just made every round so interesting, and... Coming in off the feature matches and stuff, you would just see, you know, tons and tons of decks and interesting lines of play. So I think it, I think I agree with you. One of the best Pro Tours we've seen in a long time. Uh, better than the last Modern Pro Tour. Better than the Eldrazi Pro Tour. Because that was dominated by one deck. This deck was, uh, this, this Pro Tour was just entertaining round after round after round. What's going on today, Richard? We're just, like, gushing and happy, and I don't think we've complained about anything this entire uh, cast. Give us Tom like Brady more than lost the Super through. Bowl. Is that, is that what happened? <laughs> what, what's, oh, that... what's, what's better, Tom Brady losing the Super Bowl or Lantern winning the Pro Tour? Oh, man, they were both pretty awesome, but it's, it's probably Brady. I just love seeing him lose. That always makes me happy. I actually felt bad for Brady. I mean, best Super Bowl performance he's ever done. His defense could do anything for him i was actually more happy for nick Foles. reminds me of like kurt warner kind of just like giving up on football and just comes out of nowhere goes super sane and goes nuts right plays like you know he's been he's been here he plays like brady basically like he's been here for 15 years no problem and just goes crazy and uh brings the eagles a super bowl uh very surprising did not expect that at all and it was a pretty entertaining game Oh man, that one that one call going into halftime where uh <laughs> so gutsy. I think it was like fourth and yep. one at the fourth one yard one. line. So good. So good. That's that how was you beat definitely the, the highlight of the game. Everyone else was like, Oh we we better not kick it because they might block it and return it. We'll better just take a knee, right? That's how everyone loses to the Patriots. They're super conservative. Uh like the Jags, you know, let's not go for a field goal at halftime. Let's just take a knee and take our lead into halftime, right? But Peterson knew what he's doing. You gotta go for the throat. Gotta gotta stomp on them to actually win. I think there's a magic lesson there. I think if you if you're disadvantaged in terms of skill, just go the high variance route and <laughs> some percentage of the time it's gonna work out for you. Play your hollow ones, play the burning inquiry. Not that the players at the Pro Tour had that problem, but you know what I you know what I mean. That's my technique when you know you're playing against someone better than you. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, so fish mail coming up. Oh yeah, we had a couple of other spoilers. That's the other thing we wanted to mention today. So, uh, 25th anniversary masters coming out in March. I think spoilers officially start the end of February. They said the 28th, maybe some somewhere towards the end of February, but we got three cards mostly from the packaging. So Jason mind sculptor, we mentioned that one already Azusa lost, but seeking, which is currently like a $50 card or close to $50. And then we also saw Frexian Obliterator making a return. So what do you think, Richard? Any thoughts on the spoiled cards for 25th Masters? Oh, there's so many Masters sets now, I don't care anymore. <laughs> like, there's no theme. Like, I don't even bother trying to guess the theme. And I guess, like, Obliterator has been so expensive for a card that's never seen play anywhere and sucks in almost every format. <laughs> for some reason, it's so expensive. So I guess it's time. And of course, Jace, Poster Boy of Magic. And 
Asusa is expensive, so I guess she gets a reprint. So, so I don't know. They're just gonna reprint the expensive stuff. I don't. I don't care about master sets anymore. They they just come so frequently and just print so much stuff. So I I don't know. I mean, it's good if you need these cards. Otherwise, yeah. Uh, I think it is cool. And I mean the cards, yes. I'm fine with more reprints. I think that's good. I really like the watermark idea where the each of the cards, or most of them, I think they said, is going to be watermarked with their original printing. So I think that's a really cool way to kind of keep track of it in a world of more and more reprints. Plus, if you're playing Unset Constructed, that, that kind of stuff really matters. Get your Unset Watermark Matters cards now, because you're going to have wa- watermarked Azusas and Jason Mine Sculptors and Obliterators and so forth. But I like that change. Wait, well, what's the point of watermarking the original set? I think it just looks cool. I don't think there's any real gameplay, but it, it lets you it lets you uh, it lets you know if you're new to Magic and you're like, "Huh, where's this card come from?" I don't know. Maybe it's, it gets you to go back and look up the other cards from Zendikar, Champions of Kamigawa, or whatever. Anyway, I think that brings us to Fishmail, Richard. We didn't have anything else, right? Um, nope. We we talked well, about Brady losing. <laughs> Brady, lo- Brady losing, Lantern winning. Those were the two the two main themes of the day. All right. If you have your questions, send them to at MTGGoldfish on Twitter with the hashtag MTGFishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. Mark Pat Morris. What would happen if energy was a shared pool between all players? <laughs> oh, boy. Complete chaos. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that would be very chaotic. That. I don't even, I can't even envision what would happen, but I don't think it would be good. Yeah, it's like if you shared mana between players, like, what would happen? Like, who knows? <laughs> A lot of crazy things. Uh, next question, Mana Gooder's words. I'm a teacher who runs a club twice a week for 45 minutes with students aged 10 to 16. I picked up some free starter decks from my LGS to teach these kids how to play Magic for the first time. Where do you think I should start? Um, I mean, I guess you gotta... <laughs> You had to start at the the beginning with the basics and the rules. I think the starter decks are a good product for that, and I'm glad you picked them up for free at your LGS rather than buying them for $10 at Walmart. Oh, <laughs> so ridiculous. Uh, you know what Magic should actually do? So Ma- I don't think Magic does this, but Pokemon does. They, they give you a dual deck, and it's pre-stacked, so the order is known and fixed, and they give you a sequence of things to do. So they say, you know, draw this card, and the card is known. Play a land, tap it, cast Lanamore Elves. Something like that. And it basically walks you through a complete game between two players with a script, so you can follow and know what the rules are. And then afterwards, you can shuffle them up and actually play a randomized game. So uh, I would actually do something like that. I would actually stack two decks, uh, script them, and then demo the game and, and teach teach them how to actually go through the phases, how to cast spells, uh, how to use instance attack and block and whatnot. And just oh, have man. them go through that and pick up the game. They they need it they need to sell those with like one of those codes that you can just scan with your phone and it'll pop up a video tutorial mm-hmm. for teaching. Magic really should do that. That would be very helpful. Uh, next question. Ben time and space. What do you think Frontier needs to catapult itself into a more competitive and recognized format? Uh, Magic Arena to take off and Wizards to officially create the format. Yeah, Wizards needs to officially recognize it as something, and then I think people people would jump all over it. Kazami is real movie. Any thoughts on adding Onslaught block to Modern? A lot of tribal support, Enchantress's presence, Astral Slide, one mana cycling lands would be interesting. Just preemptively ban the storm cards, maybe Goblin Sharpshooter. Huh, I know before Little History Lesson, before Modern was a thing, Overextended was kind of like the original Modern that people, the, the community, tried to develop. And I believe it also included Onslaught Black. I think that's where it started was Onslaught rather than Mirrodin. Uh, so maybe it would be cool. I'm trying to look at Onslaught right now. It's got fetch lands. There's other than storm. There's nothing that jumps out as being. Well, I guess the enchantress, enchantress's presence is pretty legacy staple-ish. That might be pretty good. I don't know. Are there, are it there might broken be fine. goblins in onslaught? Well, well, they already reprinted pile driver. Goblin sharpshooter is semi-broken. I don't know about adding older stuff to modern. I think if anything, we should cut the older stuff out of modern. But could be a thing. 
Uh, Steve Mont two one five. Seth, how much better do you think your budget modern decks would be if you doubled the budget? Would the decks be twice as good, or is brewing complex enough that there are diminishing returns at a certain point for anything less than full-on tier decks? Uh, I don't know if they'd be twice as good, but it's very deck-dependent. I think it really depends on the deck. Uh, you see some decks where we're playing, like, Declaration in Stone over Path to Exile, or playing Doomblade over Fatal Push. Those type of changes actually do have a pretty meaningful impact. I don't think it would be enough to make them twice as good. It's definitely true, though, that the biggest gain you get, I think, is moving to Fetchland, Shockland, Mana Base, and there's no way doubling the budget would make that possible. So I I, I think it's somewhere in between. Like, some decks would get a pretty meaningful improvement. Other decks wouldn't really get that much of improvement at all. All right, next question. Alan PB. When is Richard going to do a solo gameplay video? I find his personality very uplifting, and I find it funny whenever something bad happens to him in Commander Clash, he says no. <laughs> well, thank you, Alan. Uh, someone actually suggested this in the YouTube comments. Judd him out with Richard, where every week I go 3-2 in a modern league, <laughs> playing a stock Judd list. <laughs> that sounds a little. That sounds actually appealing, but I don't know if I want to subject the viewers to that. <laughs> there, actually, MTG Goldfish trivia: the very first budget magic was actually done by Richard. Oh no! Don't I think it's don't dig it's that still <laughs> it's still on the channel. You played. I think you did exactly one bet budget magic, and it was Mono Blue Tron. <laughs> There's actually three. There's actually three videos. So I think the first Magic Online tutorial, I played 10 tickets mono red. I played mono blue Tron in a modern budget Magic. And I played, oh, it was a black deck, maybe Bardu Warriors or something. I, 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 oh, a standard deck. Yeah, yeah. Like it was. I think it was a standard Abzan or Mardu deck. I forgot what it was. It was like a warrior deck, I think. So if you're inclined, you can dig those up to find five-year-old videos of me playing Magic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next question. Juzam's two plowshare. Do you think there's any chance they print City of Brass and Dominaria? Is it too powerful? I think that they would print Mana Confluence. I think it's archaic, Wait, what's, not too powerful. what's the difference between those? Two? Is it, aren't they the same? Uh, City of Brass deals damage whenever it's tapped, and Mana Confluence is only when you tap it for mana. Uh, so, so you can twiddle it or something to ping? Yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah, so I don't think it's too powerful. I mean, they, they just won't use that templating, because they, they did reprint Mana Confluence. Nico3738, I don't think there exists something like a broken mechanic. It's all relative to the CMC and other aspects. Uh, the sweet spot is difficult. Rogue Refiner for 4 CMC, Treasure Cruise for 16, Grape Shot for 50. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. that's... <laughs> that is true. You you give it enough cost and no one will play it. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, st to some extent, like, Emrakul is basically... Yeah, Emrakul would be roughly as powerful it is, as it is right now if it cost literal infinite mana. And you were just cheating it into play but through the breach and stuff. That's a good point. Uh, at MTG Watercliff, did you guys see this ad? Twitch Esports putting Magic Pro Tour on their games to watch. I, I think the Pro Tour was on the front page of Twitch for for some period of time during the weekend. They, I think it was they nailed the, the that sweet, sweet 12 a.m. on the West Coast time zone. <laughs> <laughs> not, not a whole lot of competition. <laughs> uh, 85 Josh Walton... On uh, the great designer search question, where Richard suggested Phyrexian Mana could be better, what if Phyrexian Mana was 2 life per, per 1 mana? Also, maybe only use cards with 3 plus CMC. Or only available as 1 of the CMC. Just ways to potentially balance the, play, uh, the power. So if, Git, if Gitaxian Probe was 2 life for uh, Wait, isn't peak... it 2 life? Isn't Phyrexian Mana 2 life? Wait, how? Don't pay 2 life or... I'm pretty sure that's Yeah, because this member... This member is four if you pay everything. So what if it was four life instead of two, I guess? Double it. People would still pay it because Death Shadow is a thing. That would make it better. <laughs> <laughs> that would make it better. In fact, would still play it since they pretty much don't care most of the time. So I think people would still play it. Like, what is the number at which it becomes too crazy? Like, ten? You probably wouldn't pay ten, would you? Mm, Unless you're probably. Death Shadow. I mean, I don't think you can fix Gitaxian Probe, but I feel like the other cards... Could have been okay if 
they just always had a color a colored mana cost. Like that's the biggest problem I have with Phyrexian mana is dismember showing up in mono blue decks and so forth. I think that's what bothers me is the color pie violations. So it doesn't help with Mutagenic Growth or Gitaxian Pro, but the rest of the cards, like if Dismember was black Phyrexian Phyrexian, I think that would be fine. Uh, Angry Poncho 2, do you think Spellskite will be played again in Modern? What would make it good again? Uh, it's a metagame thing. If in fact came back or Boggles was good again, that's where I think Spellskite really shines. I'm not sure if there's any card that could be printed that I can think of that would make you want to play it as a outside of being like a hate card against other good decks. All right, next question. Pedro Light Lamatos. Popper is gaining more players. Will we see Popper gameplay on Goldfish again? The return of playing Popper is uh, tomorrow night. So yes, we are going to be having some Popper gameplay coming up. All right, Nick Gullion, how do you think the inevitable return of Phyrexians will be handled by Watsi? I'm concerned they're going to give them the BFZ treatment, especially how gun-shy they might be after the wave of standard bannings. Yeah, Wait, I what don't does expect Phyrexian mana. What is the BFZ treatment? I thought they were overpowered in BFZ. Were there Phyrexians on BFZ? No, no. I, wait, what? I think... I, I, I think they're referring to they overpowered Eldrazi in BFZ. Oh. And then, thus, they're all banned, like Emrakul. And then, even Ulamog is pretty strong. So, oh, so maybe the concern is that they just yeah. water them down too much because yes. they're afraid of breaking stuff? Yeah. Eh, it could happen. I, I expect that they'll play it pretty safe after Phyrexian mana and BFZ kind of burning them a little bit. I'm a big fan of multiplayer good. So, something like, say, Elish Norn or Vornklex, like, they could be played in standard, they're pretty hard to use, but they're absolute powerhouses uh, in commander. Basically all the Praetors, Jingataxius, Shouldred, they're all crazy in commander, but saw very little standard play. Uh, basement Spaceship, playing Pokemon recently, I noticed standard is raising the power level rather than lowering it. Do you think people would get into modern more if it were the same in magic? If they were increasing the power level of modern or of, of modern of or standard? Standard? Uh I don't know if I see the connection to modern. I'm can I'm a little confused. Or lower it? If they lower the power of standard, maybe if you lower the power of standard, you're more likely to play modern. But now, because the power level standard is too high, modern is basically the same thing, so people don't play. I really think that modern is... I think the biggest thing is prices. And it has definitely been improving, and I think it'll continue to improve. But I think that's the barrier for some people, or a decent amount of people, is just not wanting to spend modern prices on a deck. Pit Lord Grant, hey Seth, are you part of Bill's Mafia? And if so, do you drink and body slam tables? I I have never considered myself part of the Bills Mafia. I am a Bills fan, but no, I I've never body slammed anyone, or uh, I don't even really drink at this point. Wait, what, so. what what is what is? I'm not part of Bills Mafia. Do you do you just run around drinking and body slamming people? Like what is what is this <laughs> meme? What what goes on Bill, here? They Bills fans are known for being pretty crazy and bills mafia is just like i guess how they refer to bills fans so i don't know they they have a reputation of being some of the rowdiest <laughs> fans in the nfl i think all right uh next question wanalu yt non-fetchable dual lands that come into play untapped too strong for standard um, so basically a dual land that comes into play untapped straight up I think that they have a rule that lands can't be better than basic lands, and I think that would break the rule. So yes, I think that would be too good from Wizards' perspective. Only if they reprint Blood Moon <laughs> in that <laughs> standard set. Uh, Streakus, if and when we return to Theros, do we get enchantment lands? If so, do they break larger formats? We don't because they would break larger formats, I think. What if you preemptively banned them? <laughs> they would be cool. Why don't we have enchantment lands? It seems like it should be a thing. I think they would have if artifact lands weren't so broken. <laughs> I think artifact lands just ruin the idea of doing that. Yeah. Uh, JC Thacker 21. I know logistics are crazy, but what if team events held three streams with three sets of commentary so people could view their preferred format? Oh, that would be neat. I don't know how practical it is, but... I, that would be fun. Yeah, that that would be really hard. I, I don't know if it's worth it. I think just having a single stream so that everyone can converge and discuss on the same things is better than fragmenting. 
kind of the the viewership but i don't know i, I think it would be better to have alternating formats uh throughout the week or something rather than simultaneously and doing three streams at once uh usa forever seven rate your top five five color commanders uh atag atag can you even one. name five five color commanders <laughs> A tag, a tag, uh, followed by the Scarecrow thing, uh, <laughs> Reaper, Reaper King, Reaper King uh, followed by... No Progenitus? Uh, Progenitus is alright. Uh, Ramos Dragon yeah, Engine. Ramos Dragon Engine. Those are the only ones uh, I can think of. What are... Uh, there's also the Child of Alara. Oh, Child of Alara. That's too good. Multiple play slivers, it. I think. Two slivers? Hive Lord and Queen, the... or... What's the indestructible yeah. one? I forgot. And Legion. Legion. Hive Lord, Legion Queen, I think. Okay. Uh, that might be most of the five color commanders. I think there's a uh, Cyan of the, or no, the Ur-Dragon and Cyan of the Ur-Dragon. I think we might have named them all. Wow. I think my favorite is probably Ramos and Atagatag, though. Yeah, usually when I play five color commander, the commander itself doesn't matter. <laughs> usually I'm just yeah. trying to build some five color decks, so usually Ramos or something comes out, or... Uh, Child of Alara, Progenitus. But those are really strong. We tend not to play with those. Uh, next question. V. Thorsby. Is Eld- Eldritch Moon the big winner of the Pro Tour Rivals of Ixalan? Seven of the top eight decks had Eldritch Moon cards in their decks slash sideboard. Ooh. I don't even know what cards these are. <laughs> what, what are. What are these Eldritch Moon cards? So I assume that Liliana and Grimflayer. And, oh, and Collective Brutality. Oh, Collective Brutality. Those are the... Yeah. Oh, and then, actually, Bedlam Reveler is an Eldritch Moon card as well. Spell Queller, I don't know if that actually showed up, but that's another Lieutenant, modern Thalia's playable Lieutenant. one. Lieutenant. Blessed Alliance shows up a little bit. Thalia's Lieutenant, yeah. Wow, yeah, I guess it... That's weird. Who would have thought that Eldritch Moon would have such a big impact on modern? Uh, next question. Floyd Claypool... What do you think about the popper pre-cons the professor talks about? Good idea, bad idea, you don't care. Eh, I mean, I don't... Ah. I don't know. I think my preferred solution for reprinting Popper is just to put the cards in, like, Commander decks and Conspiracy. I'm not sure that there's enough of a market for Popper precons the way they would be constructed. Like, if somehow they had $100 worth of cards and they sold them for $20, sure. But I expect they'd be $50 and you'd get $30 worth of cards with some new art or something and no one would buy them. Okay, uh, next question... Uh, Zena Vidro, do you guys think that in a standard block pro tour, the pro tours do enough to build new decks and really test the new cards in that block, or do they just play it safe? So I assume this is not block constructed, but it's just actually a standard pro tour. Okay. Do you, do you uh... think the pros are actually brewing, or do they just pick? Uh, I think what Shoda said, uh, we looked at Magic Online, saw this deck list that was 5 0, and we just took it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that they do. I feel like the last year of Standard has, has just been so broken that it's really hard to not play one of the best decks, and there just weren't a lot of good possibilities for brewing. So we'll see. I'm, I'm hopeful that the next year we'll see some more brewing and action happening. All right, next question. Brandon Lee Taco, why do deck names nowadays only reference the shard slash wedges, Esper gifts, abs, and tokens, instead of two-color guilds, green-red monsters instead of ghoul monsters, blue-black control instead of demir control, and sometimes four colors, four C energy instead of chaos energy? Seth, is there any rhyme or reason to how magic players name their decks? <laughs> I feel like it's... It's a timing thing. I feel like if... Uh, so the rumor is we're returning to Ravnica again this fall, based on some of the Vortho stuff that's been coming out. And I guarantee you, if we return to Ravnica, all of a sudden, blue-black decks will be Demir again, and blue-white will be Azorius. Because I think that everyone names them after uh, the a set that's recent, and then as time goes by, it kind of falls back to the colors being the default. Yeah, I absolutely hate the new naming. I remember when they tried to make it like Teamer Delver in Legacy. So, so remember that we can't have fun deck names anymore, right? We gotta have shard slash colors name a card, you know, Mardu Pyromancer, because players, you know, won't be able to understand the deck if you called it. <laughs> you know, uh, Richard's Tacos, right? But <laughs> but we're using things like Mardu, Abzan, 
new players have no idea what that means, right? You might as well just call it like black, green, red or whatever, right? Like why are we using these words? Like it's not consistent. I don't like how Watsi handles all of this. And it basically all comes down from Watsi. Watsi will officially name the the decks when they top eight and pretty much everyone just uses those names and you know that's how they refer to on coverage and whatnot so so i don't like it either have just weird names that no one understands or just be very literal like uwr control instead of just guy control right but nah. <laughs> <laughs> uh the green robbie friends are arguing about the definition of jank figured you know what is and isn't jank if it keeps winning, is it still jank? <laughs> is it defined by card frequency, unconventionalness, consistency, etc.? Also, you should play Penny Dreadful. Seth, <laughs> as the master of jank, what is the definition of jank? <laughs> that's that's the the beauty of the word jank is it can it means anything you want it to mean. It's sort of like uh, I th- there's this famous George Carlin bit about the the f word and how. <laughs> how versatile it is and can be used to mean so many different things. That's jank in the magic community. Uh, it can refer to basically anything you want. I think I think of it as unconventional. So I don't have a negative connotation to it. If I say that uh, our opponent's deck is janky or that card is janky, it's not meant to be an insult, but I think it mostly refers to unconventional, but I use it in all different contexts as well. Yeah, I, I would say... It's okay to call your own stuff jank, whatever you want to define it as, but do not call other people's <laughs> stuff jank. I, I remember I, I, I was like listening in a conversation where one person called the other person's deck jank. The other person was like super insulted, even though they weren't saying anything. And then the other person was like, but I meant it as a compliment. And I'm like, just don't go there. Just jank can be bad. And when you call your own deck jank, it's fine. But don't call other people's jank you know deck janky even if it is janky <laughs> you know it's not nice people, right don't call other people's jank jank yeah that, that's, you can't do that uh v thor's v how does green black rock with dark confidant kill hollowed one fatal push abrupt decay victim of night go for the throat doom blade uh murders cut slash disremember bad with dark confidant wait doesn't victim of night kill it is it a horror or something uh i don't i, th- I think it's a construct yeah, I think vict- I thought Victim of Night was like the go-to kind of. Oh, it's a go- it's a golem. Okay, Victim of Night is just werewolf vampire or something, right? I think maybe the um. Yeah. I think maybe the problem is Gurmag Angler is a zombie, so you you kind of have some. You don't kill all the threats with Victim of Interesting. Night. Interesting. Dismember, maybe Dismember or Maelstrom Pulse. I don't, but they're kind of slow. Yeah, I, uh, I I think Victim is what you do, and you just. Beat them with your four or five goyves, <laughs> which will be bigger than the hollowed ones. But I mean, that's the whole point of hollowed one, right? It's hard to kill. I mean, the upside is they're putting so many cards into graveyards that your goyves should be pretty big. So you should be able to just blank by turn two if they cast a burning inquiry. There's a reasonable chance that your goyf is just bigger than hollow one. Yep. Uh, next question Chris Trensey, were you guys happier seeing a control deck win the Pro Tour or the Eagles win the Super Bowl? <laughs> we kind of already answered this. Uh, I, Brady losing the Super Bowl was the highlight of the weekend. Samson533, why does community typically talk about the deck as a thing that won over the player? Everyone is wanting Lantern banned, but is it the deck that won or was it Luis Salvato? Should we start banning players for being OP after a competition? <laughs> I actually ran a Twitter poll asking people what they watch the pro tour for and a pl- uh just so many people voted for the deck so it seems like some people care about players but like 70 percent, if i'm remembering correctly chose deck over players so i i think people just like decks you can't pick up a player and take them to your local fnm but you can pick up a cool deck so i think that's the big yeah, thing i'm playing reduke this week <laughs> he's just gonna sit in here don't don't mind him <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you can't ban players because what are you going to do, right? They're players and they're really good. Like, oh, I'm sorry, John Finkel, you're not allowed at this tournament. Sorry, <laughs> please leave. Like, you can't, right? So the only thing you can do is ban decks. Uh, but I do agree that everyone puts too much stock uh, in the deck rather than the player. You know, if Reed Duke wins with Abzan, is it because Abzan is really good or is it because Reed Duke is really good? Right? Usually it's, actually it's the players. Usually it's the players <laughs> yeah. that are really good. So no matter what yeah. deck they use, the w- players in the top eight, they're usually the reason why 
uh, they won. Yeah, and Reed was a great example of that, because Abzan was actually really bad at the Pro Tour, but he's really good. Same with Jerry with uh, the Mardu deck. It was very bad overall, but he's just so good at playing Magic, and with the deck, he was able to overcome uh, maybe a suboptimal deck, or it's not suboptimal when he was playing it. So it's really interesting how that works. Uh, next question, Rob Boville. Can you discuss Wizards continuing discontinuing dual decks? What does this do to the prices of sealed product? Uh, I think we gotta wait and see what the replacements are like. Yeah, has there even been like any relevant cards printed in dual decks? Like, yeah, recently? I, I, if anything, the new decks probably have a better chance of having staples in them and would potentially decrease prices. But I don't think intro decks really had a significant impact on the prices of relevant cards. Yeah. All right. That's all of our fish mail questions. Thank you, everyone, for sending them in. If you have questions, send them to at MTG Goldfish on Twitter with the hashtag MTG Fish Mail. Oh, and I think that brings us to the end of episode 158 of the Goldfish Podcast. So, Richard, any final thoughts on the way out the door this week? Uh, now what? We just all forget about modern and go back, go back to Rivals of Ixalan. Oh. <laughs> it, it feels. I feel unsatisfied. It feels unfinished. But that that. That's the end of Modern. Time to go back to Standard. <laughs> we got Modern GPs this weekend, though. So if you miss some of the action, there are, I think, two Modern GPs this weekend. So a little more Modern before we go back to the Standard world. But it was exciting. I'm excited to play some Modern. I'll probably go play some Modern once we finish, the, finish this podcast. <laughs> are you going to go play Lantern? <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> I got to play it before it gets banned. <laughs> Uh, all right, everyone. Thank you so much for hanging out with us this week. I uh, hope you enjoyed episode 158 of the Goldfish Cast, and we will talk to you next week. 